What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Between Two Tackles. I'm your host, Alex Spinelli, and alongside me, as always, is Ray Volo. No Dino tonight. We got a little two-man action. Ray, my friend, we got week nine of the college football season. It is flying by. It's scary. It's slowly winding down, uh, all working up to the grand finale of the game against those cheating scales up north. So uh, we got a big win last week against Penn State. Obviously, the the B-ranked. University it was pretty much a gimme, but always good to see him get it done, you know? Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> oh, my God. Before we start week nine, we're going to talk about gimmies. If you feel good about that Ohio State team moving forward, I don't know what you're watching. I mean, that was the exact game I expected. Down yeah. down three of our key top five, top seven starters, gutted it out on defense. This is a different Ohio State team. We're tough up front on D in particular. So that's what we need against that, those fucking scumbag cheats up north. So that, I don't know. That is just not a team that can win a national championship. I don't know. That's hey, man. man. Let, let McCord cook. Let him cook. You got some time. <laughs> Please. Okay. Um, maybe, hey, maybe he goes down. We got another Cardell Jones situation. Not not rooting for it or anything, but you say. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Devin Brown took a couple of uh, big shots in that game too. I don't, yeah, know, I don't know what. He, yeah, I don't know what he's up to. I think they're saying he may be banged up for a little bit, but <laughs> we'll see. All right. Uh, before we get into the Week Nine game previews, let's talk about some prospects that we really liked from Week Eight. Who's first guy on your list? Yeah, I'm going to stick with my boys. Uh, JT Tuimolowal really impressed me this week. I've been saying it for however many weeks. I really want to see him. Sawyer might call step up, and JT had a really nice week against Penn State for the second year in a row. Uh, he had one sack, one tackle for a loss, seven total pressures. So really nice reps against Olu, too, which I think was like the most encouraging thing. Uh, as a prospect, he's just got such natural, heavy hands and power, which I think is going like, to immediately play in the NFL. He's got a, a willingness to show some different moves, too, which I think is going to play. So the one thing I think that may be concerning to teams, is he's like a, a little bit of a tweener body type. I'm curious to see what the length's going to be, too. But I think that power is going to play. So whether he's a, a top of day two pick or a back end around one, uh, I think teams are going to be really intrigued by the just the overall arsenal that he has. Yeah, I think for JT, especially when we went through summer scouting, the big thing for me was the consistency game to game. I felt like there were just times where he you wouldn't even know he was out there. He wasn't really showing up. But, I mean, these last two years against Penn State, I've seen it firsthand. Shows up in big games, and you know what? If that's when you're going to show up, good for you. Um, he was awesome, and he kicked Olu's ass a, a bunch of times. So uh, good for JT. He played really, really well. Um, for me, first guy I want to mention, we're going to show some trench love here. We got to go to Jackson Powers Johnson, the center from Oregon. Um, former four-star, 6'3", 320 pounds. Oregon ran for 248 yards on the ground last week against Washington State. Uh, almost eight yards a carry. They also allowed zero sacks. He has been the driving force and kind of the leader of this offensive line this whole year. It's been his first year as a starter. Um, he's only allowed one pressure all year. Last last year, he played at both guard positions. He also played right tackle. So we love position versatility along the offensive line. Incredibly smart offensive lineman. Um, especially in Oregon's offense where they play with a lot of tempo, a lot of motion and movement. He is really good with everything that Oregon asks him to do. So um, looking forward to keeping watching him and see where he ends up in the draft. Oregon is such a 
balanced, like just dynamic offense, dude. They're not dead yet either. I, they were on the table. Not at all. I don't think any team wants to see them in the fucking playoffs. Like, especially if they sneak in as a four seed, one lost Pac-12 champs. I, I don't want to play them fucking in that semifinal game. I'll tell you that much. That offense and just the combination of the, the Dan Lanning's defense too. Uh, they're a dangerous team. I'm curious to see if we get that rematch between them and Washington. Yeah, especially with uh, I think because some some of their corners too were were getting banged up again against Washington too. Some of those guys are starting to get healthy. So I agree with you. They're uh, they're definitely a dangerous team, and they're definitely not dead. Who's the uh, second guy on your list? Yeah, I'm sticking with a Big Ten defensive lineman. I'm going Johnny Newton from Illinois. Had a, probably All the good. game of the year last week against Wisconsin. Uh, six total pressures, a sack, a tackle for a loss, and four stops in the run game. He's such an intriguing prospect. I remember talking about it in summer scouting. I thought he was kind of like a back end of round one when I feel like you guys kind of thought he was a top half. Just his lack of length is a little concerning, but dude, he is so quick twitched. He gets off the line really fucking well, and he's just a dog in both the run game and pass rush game. I think he's like leading the inter- all interior defensive lineman and pressures on the year too. So he's a menace. I'm curious to see maybe if it, even if he gets into a more of like a four three attacking defense in the NFL level. I think that's probably where you're gonna want him to shoot some more gaps and stuff like that. But He's going to be an intriguing prospect just because that length question is always something that I feel like knocks guys down when it comes to draft time. So curious to see where he ends up. I still assume he's going to be a first round pick, but is he going to be more of the twenties or early teens? I'm curious just because, I mean, a lot of the other defensive tackles in this class are pure tools and he's more, he's probably the most refined easily. I would say. Agreed. Um, I think maybe outside of, outside of, of lot two, he's, the most polished defensive lineman, uh, including all the the edge prospects too. Um, I think the big conversation that we had over summer too, with that arm length where we were kind of drawing comparisons between him and Kalaja Kansi, who came out last year, this dude is far and away better in the run game than Kalaja Kansi was. I think, I think arguably he's better in the run game than he is uh, at, at his pass rush, but, I mean, he's taken some really big steps, especially in his past move arsenal this year. I mean, he just swim moves, eats up double teams. He's he's great. He fucking balled out last week. So I love that shout out. Um, I'm going to stick in the Big Ten, too, for my second guy, uh, Junior Colson, linebacker from Michigan, another former four-star, 6'3", 247. Last week had 11 total tackles. No one else had more than three along this defense. He's truly the anchor for Michigan on the defensive side, um, especially in the run game. This dude's an absolute dog in the run game, had five stops against Michigan state only has two missed tackles all season. So extremely sure handed let up a few catches and coverage, but he's just a really good athlete with already good instincts. And I think he's going to be a really nice player in the NFL. Yeah, I haven't gotten to watch much of him, to be honest, but, I mean, let's be real. I'll see him eventually, so. Yes, you will. You'll be seeing a lot of him. All right, let's get to the game previews. First game we got on the docket is number one, Georgia, coming off a bye. They are 14.5-point favorites going to the Swamp to play Florida. Ray, talk to me about this Florida team and what they need to do to get a massive upset. Yeah, I mean, this is a, I mean, 14 and a half points. I know it's Georgia and all, but going to the Swamp is a tough place to play. Uh, this Florida offense is so, I don't know if I'm going to say uh, confusing is the right word, but just surprising, I, I would guess. Confusing is pretty good. I yeah, think a pretty like, good word. Because going coming this year, we just thought they were going to be a run first team, just absolutely just hit uh, with 
ETN and Montreal Johnson just run it down their throats and let Graham Mertz maybe work a little play action off that. But Graham Mertz has been the backbone of this fucking offense. I think he's averaging 280 yards passing per game. This running, this rushing attack is only averaging 4.1 yards per carry, so it's a little lackluster. Uh, I think you're going to need to see more Graham Mertz to win this game, but I think they need to be more balanced and work the passing game off the run game. Uh, this Georgia defense is as stingy as ever. They're only allowing uh, 170 yards passing per game while allowing 91 yards rushing. Uh, so I think you're going to need a massive game from Trevor Etienne. I think he's the best player on this offense and maybe even this team, to be honest with you. He's electric with the ball in his hands. I'd like to see him get a little bit more work in the pass game too, maybe get him out in space and have some uh, offensive linemen in front of him, maybe give him give him a little running give him running lanes or whatnot. But what's going to come down to is this this Florida defense needs to step up. Uh, no Brock Bowers definitely helps, but they need to stop this running attack of Georgia. Uh, Edwards has been uh, 80 carries for 460 yards and six touchdowns. But when Florida got fucking beat by Kentucky, it was all because they could not tackle. Uh, Ray Davis ran for 280 yards on their asses. I think he had like three carries of over 70 plus yards. And it's because they just straight up couldn't tackle this defense, especially on the second uh, second level. It's 17 missed tackles, according to PFF. That's just, you can't do that and win a ball game, especially against a team like Georgia. So I think it's going to come down to just efficiently tackling, wrap up, stay in your run lanes, and get Carson Beck into a third and, like, maybe not long, but third and six-ish and plus. And then with this defensive te- this defensive coordinator is going to need to scheme up some timely blitzes, I think. This pass rush for Florida has not been uh, good. I think they're ranked 109th in the country. They only have seven sacks on the year. So I don't think it's about blitzing often. I think it's about knowing when to blitz, trusting your back end to win without Brock Bowers, that mismatch nightmare uh, out there, and hope that your defense can get off the field and just get just limit their possessions, run the ball. I think that's the best way to be able to be in this game in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and for, for George, I mean, you mentioned it. What does this team look like without Brock Bowers? He has just been overliable for the last three years. Since he's come into college football, he's been awesome this year when he was healthy, and he's really been that security blanket for Carson Beck, especially with Ladd McConkey, who started the year injured. What do they do without him? I think they're going to need to come up with some creative ways to scheme guys open. I think Lovett and McConkie are going to be absolutely huge in this game. Carson Beck's been pretty good, honestly. Um, I didn't think he showed a ton at the beginning of the year, but I think he's really come a long way in the last few weeks. And I think this is a great shot for him. If you want to get a, maybe a little long shot for Heisman odds, I don't know what he's at right now, but I think this would be a good place to start. If he can get a big win in the swamp without Brock Bowers, I think it's a good place to start. Um, And then defensively, Mertz has been great. I mean, you said confusing. He threw for 400 yards last week. When the fuck is Graham Mertz throwing for 400 yards? I don't think he's ever have. I don't know. I can't. I wouldn't put. I'd put money on that. He's never done that before. I also would. Maybe in high school. Um, but this team, their their backbone, like you said, is these two running backs who can absolutely take over a game. I think the key for Georgia is going to be to stop the run. Um, because I really do like their matchups on the back end. Lassiter, Bullard. Starks, those guys are elite on the back end. So I think if you can force Graham Mertz third and long to have to win, um, I think that's how you get away with a win. I would not lay 14 and a half here, but uh, I do think Georgia away. Georgia comes away with a, a win. 
I think another big factor I didn't touch on either. Florida's coming off the bye week too. So they've had an extra week to prepare that should help. Uh, and they got home field advantage. So, I mean, all things considered, if you take all those like factors, all signs point to this being an upset possibility. It's just a matter of if Graham Mertz and this offense can get it done, I think. Yeah. Uh, George is coming off a bye too. So, uh, um, sure. yeah, they're, they're been preparing. Yeah. No worries. Um, Let's get to the second game. We got number eight, Oregon, a six and a half point favorite going to number 13, Utah. Utah just dominant at home, right? Talk to me about this Oregon team that we haven't mentioned already, obviously. Um, They've been great. Yeah, I mean, this is a strength versus strength matchup. You got Oregon. I think they're six most rushing yards in the country, and I think they're leading the country, or at least FBS in yards per carry. It's like 6.8 yards per carry. But this Utah defense is... Their counterpart, they're 10th in the country in rushing defense allowed, and they allow, I think, less than three yards per carry. So I think at the end of the day, the ball is going to have to be in Bo Nix's hand, and he's going to have to make some magic happen on the road. Uh, look for Bucky Irving. I want them, instead of running it up the middle, I would like to see them get Bucky Irving in space on the outside. I think that's kind of where this Utah defense can be attacked a little bit. I think they're really strong up the middle at linebacker and safety in particular. So maybe get them in some space and, and work that way. But also, those those play-action shots that we need to see, uh, Bo Nix and Troy Franklin, that matchup has been – or that, that combo, rather, has been a nightmare for teams all year. Troy Franklin has at least 100 yards – has 100 yards and at least one touchdown in five of his seven games. Uh, he's a, a 30 yards a 30 yard catch in every single game, I believe. So, big play. That's a big matchup to watch. I think that they need to target that in order to get some touchdowns in this game because we all know – Playing on the road in Utah is a fucking tough task for any team. Then on defense, uh, this Oregon needs to take away the run. This Oregon team needs to take away the run game. In particular, when they get into short yardage and red zone opportunity, when uh, they go to the Wildcat with that Vacky guy, they need to be really disciplined with their run game, with their rushing lanes, not, not allow anyone to break open. And because I mean, I feel like even nowadays, you don't really see the Wildcat run too much. So it's going to come down to a lot of co- big coaching. And they just need to be disciplined. And Bryson Barnes has been playing out of his mind this year. Uh, not this year, sorry. Just lately, he's been playing really, really well. Uh, better than anyone's expected. But I think Oregon's really going to need to pressure him. Oregon's tied for fourth in the country with 25 sacks this season. I think Brandon Doyle is going to be a huge factor. He's got that inside-outside versatility. I feel like I've talked, brought him up multiple times on this podcast. I'm a big fan of him. Him rushing from the interior, I think it's going to be a big matchup, a big player to watch, especially on third down. Uh, I do like Oregon in this game, but what you said it was a touchdown about six and a half. I want to say six and a half. So that's a tough spread delay uh, on Oregon, especially on the road. So I'll stay away from that. Right. Um, yeah. Utah has won 18 straight games at home. And I was listening to, uh, I think it was Joel Klatt, maybe his, his podcast. And he was saying that the last time they lost to was in the COVID season. So, Outside of that, where they didn't have fans, they've won like 27 straight games with fans, which is just absurd. Yeah, that's insane. Um, just maybe it's Fucking not Utah the, of all places. Yeah, maybe it's not the loudest stadium, but there's just something in the water there where they are so good at home. Um, another big nugget for this game, Bo Nix will start his 50th, uh, 55th career game, which is the most in FBS history. Uh, he's come a long way from that game where we were screaming uh, Auburn versus Oregon, right? <laughs> I'll remember that forever. I thought I still one of my worst beats of all time. 
Um, so Utah's coming off a great win uh, against USC last week. They'd love to keep it rolling. I'm going to start defensively here for them because I really think this, this is where they're, they're going to end up winning the game if they win the game. Um, the matchup to watch is obviously this D-line against this Oregon offensive line. This Oregon offensive line has been fantastic all season. They got dudes everywhere. Um, but this Utah D-line, I'd mentioned in maybe last week, they are great sacking the quarterback, but their pressure numbers have been kind of low. They need to pump those pressure numbers up. They need to get to Bo Nix. It's really tough because he gets the ball out so quick. I think he's top 10 in uh, in getting the ball out. So is Jonah Ellis and his D-line going to get neutralized because they're getting the ball out so quick? Um, and then the big key for me outside of that matchup is going to be third down. This is another strength on strength. Utah second in the country in third down defense, and Oregon is fifth in third down offense. Who can win the third down battle? Can Utah get off the field enough, get enough possessions where they can stay pace with this Oregon offense because they don't have a ton of offense? If you're trying to go drive for drive, score for score against Oregon, you're going to lose. Um, And then offensively, they need to protect up front. This offensive line has been great. And like you said, Dorless and Popo in the interior of this defensive line have been awesome all year. They're going to have to protect Bryson Barnes. Vaki has just been a revelation for this offense the past couple weeks, playing both sides of the ball. Um, he's been outstanding in the run game, been outstanding catching the ball last week. He's got over, he's got almost 400 yards of total offense the last two weeks. Uh, mind you, this guy is playing safety for the last couple of years too. Um, so awesome to see them getting something going on offense with him. And I also think Bryson Barnes using his legs is going to be really important in this game. You saw it down the stretch against USC, had that big run to kind of cap it where they got in field goal range. Um, so I think controlling the game on the ground, getting some creative ways with some quarterback runs, some wildcat stuff, just extend this game um, and hopefully you have a shot in the fourth quarter. It'll be a close game for sure. Yeah, I agree. Six and a half is really tough. Oregon is clearly the better team. And if they're playing on a neutral site, I mean, this line is what? Nine and a half, 10? Probably close to nine and a half, I would say. Um, maybe I would take them, but I mean, it's so hard to bet against 18. I was saying, how are you going to bet against this Utah team? Yeah. I don't know. It's so, it's so tough. Thank God Dean's not here to just pretend like he's the fan. <laughs> All right, let's get to our third game. Uh got number 20, Duke. Going to number 18, Louisville. Louisville, a four-and-a-half-point favorite, Ray. Talk to me about this Louisville team coming off a bye. Jeff Brom, always good coming off a bye. Yeah, coming off a bye. They Before the bye, they lost to Pitt. At Pitt, obviously. Maybe it was a little bit of a look-ahead game. I'm not sure. But this this Louisville offense, they obviously operate on the ground. That's just where they, they're at their best. Uh, they're, I think, fifth-year. He's listed as a junior. I don't know how you could be a fifth-year junior. But Jahar Jordan... <laughs> Uh, transfer from Syracuse is averaging 7.9 yards per carry, 7.4 yards per carry. Sorry, with eight touchdowns, he's been really electric. He's a Long Island kid, actually. Shout out Li. Uh, they got he, He's got to be the the focal piece of this offense. You cannot have Jack Plummer trying to lead the way to a victory. Uh, and I think he's for, banged up. Did you see if he was going to play? I did not. Is that is that a case? Let's see. I think he was banged up. I think he. The college injuries are so hard to follow. I hate it. I hate it it's so much. It's crazy. Um, I'm not sure if he practiced today. I think they were like 
unsure if he was going to play. Yeah, it, it's still unsure, I guess. So, I mean, regardless of their uh, their backups, going to have to step up in that case. Just because I don't, I, you can't have Jack Plummer throwing the ball over the yard. Uh, he's got 13 touchdowns and eight picks on the season, which is just a no, no, no bueno, as the, as they say. Uh, <laughs> he had two two picks that in that loss to Pittsburgh too. So you got to let this defense do its job because this defense has been very surprisingly good uh, in particular on third down. I think they rank 18th in the country in third down defense, where I think that's pretty much where you win games is on third down and in turnovers. And they have 14 turnovers forced on the year. That's third. That's a uh, tie for 13th in the country. If I'm not mistaken, uh, I think eight of those are picks too, which is good because who knows if Riley Leonard's going to play as a betting man, I'd say he's not going to, and the, their backup, assuming they're going to start him, the Henry Bellin, the uh, the fourth guy, has been playing absolutely like dog shit. He was one of six last week. I'm pretty sure he was like 33% the week before when he came in. So exploit the uh, lackluster quarterback play of Duke. Let their defense win it, run the ball, and control the ball. And I think they should uh, be able to win this one at home. Yeah, it's going to be a very tough game for Duke if Riley Leonard can't go. Status still in question, but I'm with you. I don't think he's going to be able to play. He was clearly banged up against Florida State, and even when they were winning that game, he really couldn't move around, and then obviously got banged up late in the game. Um, Offensively for Duke, you said it. They need to get this passing game going in some capacity. I mean, this looks like Adam Gase and the Jets right now uh for what they're doing it might on it honestly might be worse um they are great on the ground behind waters and more like you said Beelan needs to get this passing game going you gotta scheme some easy throws quick screens to uh Calhoun and Jordan Moore both those guys are great after the catch um so hopefully you can catch a few screens take one the house take one to the house you gotta get some sort of explosive play going through the air and then defensively you said it Got to stop them on the ground. Dwayne Carter's been an absolute beast on the interior for Duke. Um, I do think uh, Miles Jones is banged up. Duke's corner, who's been great this year. Um, not sure if he's going to play, but if he is, somebody is going to have to play man-to-man um, against Jamari Thrash for against for Louisville. He's been awesome this year. He's top 20 in, in yards. I think he's at almost 700 yards receiving this year so they got to hold up against him and you got to stop got to stop the run game uh louisville top 20 in yards per play this year so you got to hold them down got to limit them to long third downs if you can i mean that's that's the formula for them right make make i think for both teams make the quarterbacks win it yeah i mean both teams are still alive to i mean especially louisville uh in this acc race for this for the second spot. Um, so this is a big game for sure. All right, let's go on to the last game. You got your number three ranked Ohio State Buckeyes, a 14 and a half point favorite going to Madison, Wisconsin. Ray, I'll let you talk about Ohio State this week. Uh, talk to me about Ohio State, how they keep momentum, how they keep it rolling, obviously looking ahead to the game against Michigan. Yeah, I mean, this is not a look-ahead game. This is a tough matchup at Wisconsin. I have some nightmares about some losses at Wisconsin. I hate that stupid-ass fucking fourth-quarter celebration they do. Uh, and, but on the positive note, Henderson, Burke, and Ibuka are all supposed to play. I'm pretty sure I said the same exact thing last week, so I guess we'll see. 
But on offense, I really do want to see this this uh, running game get going a little bit. I know it's a tough ask against a team like Wisconsin, but they've only been averaging like two point nine yards per carry the last like four weeks. That you can't like like you said, that's not winning a national championship. You can't put the you can't rely solely on Kyle McCord and these weapons on the outside. So hopefully, you get Travion Henderson back. Maybe you don't have to like feed them entirely like a full course meal, but you know, give us some appetizers, give them like 10, 15 touches, let him get in space and show off his explosiveness. Uh, and let maybe get Mayan Williams and maybe Dallin Hayden. I don't know. I don't know why he's they want to redshirt him so bad. They're gonna redshirt him. Yeah, it's fucking ridiculous. Um, but anyone, uh, anyone besides the whatever his name is, I don't know why I'm blanking the running back linebacker from Arizona State. Let me pull up his name just so I can respectfully. Oh, Chip train him. Chip. Oh, God, that guy gives me fucking makes me want to vomit. <laughs> uh, but obviously it's going to this offense is going to revolve around Marvin Harrison Jr. So uh, I think with Ekbuka coming back, Stover's uh, emergence in the past game, it really should help open up some even more uh, possible lanes for him to just absolutely blow up. And on defense, no Tanner Mordecai, uh, I'm hearing. So. Uh, their backup, Braden Locks, going to be starting, which means a lot of Allen's going to be coming this week. Um, and I think that's good. I think it's actually good for this Ohio State defense. We have been very stout against their run this season. I think Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers, along with Ty Leak, will, uh, Ty Leak in the middle of that defense, it's going to be a good matchup for a running back like Allen, who's a kind of a downhill, lower shoulder type guy. Uh, I mean, I think this is going to be another game. Like I said last week, I think it's going to be a little bit of a slugfest kind of thing. I think Ohio State may even go down and be down at half, but I do think they end up pulling out. I think 14 and a half is a little high, to be honest with you. So I think this is going to be like a 24-14 final. Yeah, 14 and a half is clearly like no no Mordecai, and it's going to be a, a strict ground game for, for Wisconsin. Uh, has Wisconsin's lost nine straight? against Ohio State? Is that a thing? I don't know. I, I just remember the one loss. I'm pretty sure I saw that somewhere. That's uh, pretty surprising for how many good teams Wisconsin had over the years. Um, losses, I'm thinking. But Ohio State, I think this year more than ever, um, the identity of this team is their defense. Um, this team is really stout defensively. They're good on all three levels. They're smart. They're disciplined. Um, so it is a very, very tough unit to beat. So without Mordecai, like you said, they're going to have to rely on Braylon Allen, who's been nothing short of awesome again this year. That guy just keeps putting it together, as all these Wisconsin running backs seem to do in college. Um, they should see a ton of loaded boxes, a ton of eight-man boxes this whole game. So – you need to be physical at the line of scrimmage. You need to try to win the line of scrimmage early, and then hopefully you can set up some play-action shots and hit on one or two of them just to extend some drives because if you're looking to just pound the rock against this Ohio State team and win a football game like that, it's not going to happen, especially when they're getting all these weapons back on offense. You just can't go score for score like that. Um, so – Hopefully you can dominate the line of scrimmage, a very tough task against a very good defensive line. But if you can get some push early and then set up your play action shots, uh, I think that'll be how they need to win on offense. And then defensively, you need to get pressure on McCord. I mean, he's shown this season he's not a perfect prospect. He misses a lot of easy throws, throws that can be had, throws that can be taken away. 
you need to take advantage of those because if you don't, then thank you for also not saying Maserati Marv when you were uh, introducing him because I was about to fucking blow my brains out during that game listening to Gus. Um, but if you don't take one of those away, Marvin Harrison, Abuka, all those guys can take the second one to the house. Um, so if you can force tough throws against him um, without clean pockets, maybe you have a shot at extending this game, making it a dirty, messy game like they need to, um, and sneak away with uh, with a big upset. Uh, so I did some some due diligence while you were talking. Confirmed nine straight losses to Ohio State, but the last three games at home for them. Uh, last time was surprisingly 2016, which doesn't even sound right, but they lost 30 to 23 in overtime. The time before that was 2012. They lost 21 to 14 in overtime. And the time before that was 2010 and they won 31, 18. So that home wow. field advantage is real. And that I, I still remember that 2010 loss, JJ Watt. I, that's when I knew that guy was gonna be fucking insane. He actually destroyed Terrell Pryor, if I'm not mistaken, if it was him or not. But that was ridiculous. Right. All right. Good stuff. Let's get to the main events. Let's talk some units. Let's talk some bets. How'd you do last week? Um, I, I actually haven't even looked. If I, I remember, it was bad. Let me see. <laughs> um. Okay. It wasn't. I mean, yeah, it was bad, but not too bad. Uh, <laughs> down one point. One six units. I lost my Alabama Tennessee first quarter under. I forgot about that. That was a field goal by Tennessee with like three seconds left. Uh, brutal loss there. That was three units. And then, but my Washington State Oregon over hit in the last play, like in the last couple minutes. Nice. So you know what comes what comes around goes around. So I won one point eight four units on that one. Nice. Um, for me, I was down point two three units. So not horrible. I actually, the one bet I wasn't really sure about was the Utah-USC over 52.5. That one absolutely smashed. Had one unit there. Michigan team total. Um, if that keeps coming around, I'm just going to keep taking it because they have been awesome. Uh, it was over 34.5. I had 1.5 units there. And then I had a three-team teaser. Michigan minus 14. Uh, UNC minus 13.5, who lost outright. And then uh, Texas minus 13 and a half, who also didn't cover. So tough one. Tough sledding on these teasers this year. Yeah, I haven't done like anything on teaser this year. It's brutal. Um, and then for Dino, lost all five units. Been a tough stretch for Dean the last few weeks. But he had under 48 and a half, Clemson, Miami. Uh, that game ended at 48 with the double overtime, two-point conversion, uh, or the double overtime Kate Klubnik uh, running it out. So tough one, tough loss there. And then bad vibes all around. He had Penn State plus five and a half. So that's what Dean tells you. Yeah. I said it. I said it immediately when he did. I said bad vibes. Well, nothing was worse than as kickoffs going, Manger whispers, I'm with Ohio. I'm on Ohio State with you. I just <laughs> I wanted to actually punch him in the face. <laughs> all right. What do you got for us this week? This week, I have two bets. Uh, first, I have three units on USC team total over 39 and a half versus Cal. Uh, Cal's defense, especially in these big games, has not been playing too well. I think it's going to be a big bounce back for USC. I think they could put up a massive amount of points uh, in a, a semi-rivalry game in state battle. Uh, and then my second 
bet is a teaser that we were have we've been talking about uh six point teaser so i got under 49 and a half in clemson versus nc state i think that's gonna be a defensive battle and then i have two home dogs i teased up a little bit kansas plus 15 versus oklahoma i think they're gonna run the ball heavy obviously i think they'll that'll be within a two possession game and then i got florida plus 20 and a half at home uh i just think florida's gonna be able to keep this close relatively so i think maybe it'll become like a 14 to 17 point game late but i think they'll be able to cover that 20 and a half nice like it um for me of course i have a teaser i have a 10 point teaser uh going back to the well with with unc i think this is a get right game for them at georgia tech i have it minus one um then i have utah plus 16 and a half versus oregon I just think the home field advantage is too much. Even if they lose that game, they'll keep it close. And then I have UCLA minus six and a half against Colorado. Everything that UCLA does well is just really a weakness for for Colorado, especially on that offensive line. I think Latu Latu is just going to get after them. Um, And I think they should be able to pound the rock. So like that one, I have Wake Forest team total under 14 and a half against Florida State. Um, They've only hit. Over four, uh, only 15 twice in the last four games, and it was 17 against Pittsburgh and then 16 against Georgia Tech. Um, both the starter is questionable and the backup was ruled out. They played the third string last week. Um, so the third string is in. I'm going to lock that up now. Uh, might as well just cash it out. Might not even let it play. Just cash it out. Um, and then I got uh, under 40 and a half. For Purdue, Nebraska, this is just going to be an ugly, gross game. Uh, I was looking at the weather report. It could also be below 40 degrees, possible snow or rain, um, which makes for a lovely Big Ten game and a lovely under in that aspect. I was looking at that one, too. I I may have to tell you on both those. Yeah, please don't. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What what does Dean have? Do you remember? I don't know. I didn't even look. Oh God. Uh Dean has two and a half units, a money line parlay. He's got Georgia against Florida. He's got USC against Cal. And then he's got Ohio State um against Wisconsin. And then he has two and a half units on Florida State minus twenty and a half against Wake Forest. Dean just mushed one of those favorites big time. I hope it's not Ohio State. Yeah, you like how he tried to he he tried to put that parlay at minus one forty uh, on it, and then I p- plugged it in, and it was like minus one sixty. Yeah, brutal luck. Yeah, not you're not taking free units on us, buddy. No Maybe shot. You double check them there because I never do, but I know that guy's up to some fuckery. Yeah, big time. All right, that's gonna wrap it up for us here on Between Two Tackles. Thank you for listening. Hopefully, you enjoyed our Week Nine college football preview. Stay with us. We got week eight of the NFL coming up. We got some draft stuff coming up next week or the week after. Maybe a little mock draft for the people, a little midseason mock draft. It's time. It is time. As always, please rate and subscribe to the pod and follow our Twitter at Two Tackles with the number two. You can also find us on underdogpodcast.com and stick with us as we continue this 2023-2024 season. Ray, my friend, appreciate you.